11th chapter, beginning with verse 1. Listen for the word. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the town of Galilee. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have lepers here cure, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of them. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I will tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth. Among us born among women, of women, there is not risen anyone greater that, than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven, heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. He who has ears let him hear. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her actions. Here ends the first reading. God. Well, before I begin um, reading the second New Testament text, I'd like to start off by giving thanks for Thessalonians chapter peace. But Christ says he is peace. He says we can have peace, not just keeping the peace, but a deep peace that brings peace to our land if we are willing to receive what he said. And this is what the Apostle Paul says about peace. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 22. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And of the rule of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is at work in those who are disobedient, all of us also live among them one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, and following its desires and thoughts like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive again with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages 
He made show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus, for as my grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not for yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works that no one should boast. But we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were called the Gentiles by birth and called the uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in heaven, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who went far away have been brought near to the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens of God, people and members of God's whole household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is being joined together and rises up to become a holy temple of God. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by the Spirit. Thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we desperately need peace. Peace in our family. Peace in our nation. But, but we know you, you say faith without works. That, that you say we need to pray, but we need to follow up on our prayers. Lord, give us the courage to follow up on those prayers, to follow you. Not our will be done, but your will be done, Lord. Lord, any words that I say that are not of your will, I ask that they fall to the ground and be forgotten. But whatever words that I say that are of your will, I ask that they embed in hearts and bear good things unto the kingdom of God. Lord, let us not hinder your word, but be your sheep. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I, I think it's a true statement that whatever time you live in, whatever nation or culture you live in, whatever family you're from, every family wants a home, a house of peace. A house of peace. We don't want our houses just to be buildings. We want them to be homes. We want peace in our homes. We want peace. But sometimes, peace, especially when you have kids, can be a little hard. Can be a little hard. I, I found this amusing article, 13 of the most ridiculous things kids fight over. And this, this dad wrote this, and I love honest dads. I love sarcastic 
on his dad's. I'm probably going to be one one day. And this is what he says. A few years ago, my two oldest children got into a full-on argument over who farted. Not that they were trying to blame it on someone, they were both trying to claim it. And sure, it's possible that they both parted at the same time, but the real plot twist is this. I'm the one who farted. <laughs> no, just kidding. It was the kids. But who actually farted in this situation is not the point. What I'm trying to get at is that the kids argue over some pretty strange stuff. And there are moments when you take a step back as parents and wonder if there's something actually wrong with your children. <laughs> as parents often wonder, what's going on with their children? I think our children this week are wondering what's going on with us. What is going on with the adults in this country? What's going on? What is going on with us? We've entered into what I'm calling an he who smelt it, dealt it time. <laughs> <laughs> he who smelled it, dealt it. I farted, no, you farted. I'm a hypocrite, no, you're a hypocrite. You stole the election, no, you stole the election. You raided the Capitol, no, you raided the Capitol. It's childish. That is what it is. Let us call it out for what it is. Let us speak today the truth in love to each other. We've been trying. We've been trying to be peacekeepers. It's not working. It's not working. The Lord does not call us to be peacekeepers. He calls us to be peacemakers. And we need a deep peace. And Christ says today, it can be done. It is possible. He is our peace. And the good news today is this. When Christ becomes our peace, we shall build a house of peace. When Christ becomes our peace, we shall build a house of peace. What do we need to build a house of peace? Well, we need to know what our spiritual condition is. We need to know how does God raise us from the dead, and we need to know what stops us from being raised from the dead. Well, what is the spiritual condition? He says, we were dead, walking in our sins. I, I'm saying he's saying we're the walking dead. He's saying we're zombies. That's what it reminds me of. That's what this passage reminds me of. The zombie apocalypse. We're all a bunch of zombies out to eat each other. We're all a bunch of zombies out to eat each other. Yet anyone who loves zombie apocalypses, I do one of them, Notice that the real threat in a zombie apocalypse doesn't come from the zombies, but from other survivors as they abandon the common good and fight for their own survival. All of us under pressure, kindness and compassion are forsaken for the passions of the flesh. You see, the survivor's not branded. We all know what we're doing. We just feel the ends justify the means. Let's call it out. Let's call it out and say what it is. The Bible does not say we are the zombies, our enemies are the zombies. The zombies are the fear of death and the fear of things falling apart. We are the survivors who, in an effort to stop being slain, slay the better angels of our nature. That's just the truth. That's what the Bible says. 
That's the truth. We need to accept who we are before we get better. How does God raise us from the dead? He says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespassers, made us alive together, together, together with Christ. God raises us to the, from the dead with love. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. He raises us from the dead with love. And I have a perfect example of this. The 2013 romantic comedy horror zombie film, War Bodies. It's rated PG-13. If you're going to watch it, don't judge me. If you're going to watch it, don't judge me. But I think I was watching it. I had seen it in 2013. I've been watching years. A friend of a, a guy I listened to, David French, says, this is a Christian film. I'm like, seriously? That's not true. And I watch it, and I epiphany after epiphany after epiphany. So if you watch it, don't get offended. Uh, so the, the film we all, is about a zombie. It's told from the zombie's perspective. perspective. It's about a zombie named R. And R, he just feels misunderstood, guys. He just feels misunderstood. He doesn't want to eat brains. He doesn't want to eat brains, but he is sick. And eating brains is the best part, guys. Eating brains is the best part because when he eats people's brains, he gains their memories, he gains their dreams, and he's dead. And he just wants to feel alive, and he feels alive by hurting other people. That's his sickness. He feels alive by hurting other people. He's forgotten everything. He has forgotten all of who he is. All he remembers is the letter of his first name, R. Yet his heart is awakened when he meets a beautiful woman survivor named Julie. Their romantic love brings him back from the dead, and it spreads to others, raising them from the dead and bringing them hope. And that would be nice, right? Love, we always say love's the answer. The question is, what type of love? What type of love is the answer? Because anyone who's had a crush or followed like their romantic desires without any thought knows that's a bad idea. Anyone who's ever done that after some experience knows it is a bad idea. It's not enough to raise the dead. You see, our, the English language has the degree of love, but not the type of the English language has the degree of love for not the type of love. For example, I can say I love my wife, and I love the crepes my wife makes me, and you can tell I love my wife more than I love the crepes my wife makes me, and I love crepes more than I like pancakes, and if you say you like pancakes more, you're crazy. <laughs> you're crazy, guys, because clearly you have not tried crepes. Crepes are not thin pancakes. I don't care what you say, it's, you're, you're wrong. And you're evil if you think otherwise. You're, you're evil if you think crepes are thin pancakes because it's not true. It's a joke, but it gets to the point, right? That we can tell the degree of love, but not the type. We can tell the degree of love and not the type. But in the Bible, in the original language, there are more than one types of word for love. Just like Eskimos have more than one word for snow because they're around snow all the time. God, because he's around love all the time, because he is love, he has more than one word 
for love. And every love we depend on fails us, and that's why it doesn't raise the dead. So in the Greek, eros is where we get our word erotic, sexual love. And we fought battle over battle over battle over battle about it. But it's not what it's about. It's not what it's about. Whatever your orientation, it's a bad idea. It's a bad idea to depend on that alone. Everyone can agree on that. It doesn't raise anybody from the dead. It doesn't last. The, the, the other is storge. The love of children they have for their parents. Oh, and that love's great, but anyone who's raised toddlers or teenagers knows that it can be a little fickle. It can be a false hope. We don't blame them. We don't blame them. We understand. We've been there. We remember. We don't blame them. We understand. It's frustrating, though. It can challenge us. It can shake our love. It can shake it. Philea is where we get Philadelphia. Brotherly love. The love of friendship. The love that binds us together when we go through a common experience. Common war. Fighting a common enemy. But you want to know what? Jesus and Judas were friends. That didn't help. Didn't stop Judas from betraying him. It is not enough. And it's not enough because all these loves come from people. And they're based on people. And people are fallible. People are imperfect. People will disappoint you. People will fail you. And if you don't believe that, you will be disappointed. It's just how it is. If you don't believe that, you will be disappointed. But there is a love. A love that is immune from hostility. A love that casts out fear. A love that does not come from us. It is God's love. It is agape love. Dan White, in his book, Love of Fear, show, shows how his loves and, and his relationship with his wife were challenged and led to hostility. And he says this, 20 years ago, my wife and I had our first big fight. Wait, that happens, guys? That ha I, I didn't know! Somewhere in the middle of yelling at each other, I realized she was partially right. No, what? That happens? A little hiccup in my argument was exposed. At that point, I feared that if I gave a few inches, then she would take a mile. My ego refused to budge. It vied for supreme protection. I was too prideful to concede even one point. The majority of our antagonism concerns us with the security of our ego. My wife and I have since developed much healthier habits when we disagree, but that moment is suspended in my mind when I could have given an inch. I would not give it. Difficult conversations, how to talk about what matters most, which if you're having problems in any area of your life, I've said this multiple times, buy the book. Take me seriously. It will help you. It says this, that every difficult conversation, every disagreement in every area of life is actually through conversations. The facts conversation, which we're having now. The feelings conversation and the identity conversation. We, I, we deny that feelings obscure the facts, but we're lying to ourselves. Let's just be honest about it. We're lying to ourselves. 
We deny that we don't have an identity, but I do, we do. And every difficult conversation raises three questions with it in us. Am I competent? Am I a good person? And am I worthy of love? And that's what we're fighting about. It, that's what we're fighting about. And it's not an unfounded fear that if you give an inch, the other person will take a mile. That's not an irrational fear. That is not an irrational fear. In the kingdom of heaven, there is heaven to pay for admitting our faults. But on, on earth, there is hell to pay for admitting our faults. That's why we don't do it. And yes, sometimes punishment is necessary. But there is a cost to everything. And there is a cost of punishment. And the cost of punishment is obviously people aren't going to tell you why they're doing it. They're not going to do it. In your situation, if you were constantly, if you were a kid and you were constantly punishing your kid, why would they tell you why they were doing what they were doing? Why would they do it? You wouldn't do it. Why would they do it? It's necessary. But for God, it's a last-ditch option. For us, it's the go-to. It's the go-to. Whatever your identity, that's what we do. It's the go-to. But God says there's a perfect love that has nothing to do with punishment. That casts out fear. We don't have to wonder what it is. We don't have to debate what it looks like he said. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, believes all things, endures all things. Hallelujah, love never ends. But you know one thing, this text, which we put at every wedding, you know one thing it doesn't say? That love is partisan. That love is passionate. doesn't say that. God's love is impartial. God's love does really doesn't care. God's love really doesn't care how strongly, strongly you believe in something or someone. God's love cares. But whether your belief is true and whether you trust in someone is a good idea. We all know this in our relationships. It's true in every area of life. Let's just admit it. One of God's favorite metaphors for him is our heavenly father. And we are our children, his children, and we're stinking right now. And he wants to change our diet. We're stinking right now, and God wants to change our diapers. And he ain't going to leave us, but we're going to throw a fit and not allow him to change our diapers. He's going to let us in soil diapers. That's the fact of the matter. You know, I'm blessed that I have three fathers in my life. My heavenly father, who healed me and redeemed my heart. My biological father, my mom's great. This is not, this sermon's not about my mom. My biological father, Robert Roberts, and yes, that's his name. And no, there will not be a junior. <laughs> there will not be a junior. I love my dad, maybe the middle name, not the first name. I don't want my kid to get taunted like my dad did. It's an imperfect world. We know kids are going to do that. That's just the way it is. And my dad, I'm told, I don't remember this, obviously. 
I was a fickle sleeper. He stayed up every night. Every night. And, and, and brought me to sleep. He changed my di diapers. What kind of love is that? That doesn't smell good. I can't imagine myself doing that. One day I'll become a father. I don't know why you guys do it. I don't, I really don't. It doesn't sound like a good idea to me, but somehow you're fed by it. That's a mystery. That is a mystery. But even that, if your kids don't appreciate you, can be corrupted. We just got to admit Even that can be corrupted. But there is one more step. He says he had adopted us. He had chosen us, not because we're his biological kids, but because he made a choice. And my, my, my spiritual father, who you met at my ordination, the Reverend Dr. Robert Johnson, adopted me as his son, and I considered him a father. And when everyone had sorted me out, he saw something new. And he raised me up. He's right here. He also adopted a kid from China. He and his wife went to China, found an orphanage, pulled a kid out of poverty, and in multiple medical conditions. And when I met him when he was 12, I was confused. I literally thought he was part of his biological family, even though their wife is Chinese. I know that doesn't make any sense, but because of the way they loved him, I was confused. And that man has graduated college. And that man, he has a stable job. And I don't know how that happened. I don't know how that happened. I don't know how this happened. But Robert did it for him. And I once asked Robert, do you think he realizes what was done for him? And Robert said, I hope so. I hope so. And that is what's done for us here in the church. That is what has been done for you. Whether you recognize it or not, that is what has been done in Christ. That is the extent of the depth of the love that he has for us. Even when we smell bad, he pulls us out of the pit. But why? But why don't we accept it? Why don't we accept it? You know, it's what we need. I don't know what's going on. I'm playing a game of telephone like everybody else. I have news sources I trust. You have news sources you trust. Who knows? Ultimately, I guess God. But it's all about trust. It's all about who we like and who we believe. And I, I prayed and I prayed this week. And I, I, I don't punt. I don't pundit. I don't give my opinion. I give what I hear God say, and I give the word of God. And this, this image is what God told me. He asked a question. He asked us, what house do we want to build? What house do you want to build? Do you want to build a casino? Or do you want to build a house of peace? Do you want to build a casino, or do you want to build a house of peace? And here's what I mean by it. On vacation, my wife and I, I went to Arkansas and we drove through Oklahoma. And we, we passed a Native American reservation. We passed multiple casinos on the way. And usually I'm very judgmental of people 
in casinos, who make casinos, who build casinos, I judge them up to sky heaven because they're gambling. And generally, I disapprove of gambling. But you know what I said to my wife when I saw those casinos? Good for them. Good for them because of all that we did to them. Because all we took from them. Good for them that they, 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 they get a little back from people who are willing to gamble. Good for them. And I know what you think. How can I be in woke to I think that we bear responsibility directly for what our ancestors did? You know, I used to. But God admit, as I've, I've listened to people who disagreed with me, and I've read the Bible, good point. Doesn't make sense. I wasn't there. I wasn't responsible for what my ancestors did. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. We all recognize what our ancestors did. We all agree with that. We just don't think we're responsible. And here's what our European ancestors did. They were like the robbers by the side of the road. They took people for everything they were worth and they left them for dead. And then some other ancestors came along, and instead of picking them up and binding their wounds, they said, here's some chump change. Go get to the end yourself, and go heal yourself. That's what they did. So no, we're not responsible, but the question is, are we gonna be good Samaritans? Are we gonna be good Samaritans? Are we gonna love our neighbor as ourselves? You were right, but just because you're right doesn't mean you know all the truth. We as Christians are called to see the whole story. Yes, half the story is we created a nation that half endured. That is a light unto the nations. But the other half of the story is we did some not so great things. And until we become a house of peace, we're not going to learn to deal with faith. But we all want to be right. We all want to be right. And you know what the casino is? It's the house of being right. The casino is the house of being right. You may win. You may win. But you could lose it all. You may win. But you could lose it all. You've got to come to terms with it. Whatever is going on. You may win. But you could lose it all. In your relationships, if you're insisting on being you may win, but you could lose it all if you do it's your fault. If you do it, it is your fault. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is what house do we want to build? I don't care who you voted for. I don't care. God, God doesn't care. He's been over a thousand nations for a million years. You think he cares about this light and momentary affliction? He cares that people live and people prosper. And the question you have to ask yourself now, in such a time as this, is what house are we together going to build? A casino, a house, peace. Consider your answer carefully. Because the Lord, unlike us, He is patient, slow to anger, abounding in His steadfast joy. And we can all say that. Thanks be to God.
Let us stand and affirm our faith by saying the words of the Apostles' Creed.